0: Hello, you're listening to Renaissance Man, a podcast featuring my father, Philip Brunel, as he talks about the world of music
1: so the
0: the more pressing question is um, you you just announced you guys just revealed year 50. Yep. The 50th year. You're holding the program of Vocal Essence. Vocal Essence is 50 years old. You've been doing programming for almost as long as I've been alive. So I want to I want to start there. Um and you're going to be 75 in a, in a couple of weeks here in in July. So if I do the math correctly, you were 25, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm going back to, I think, episode one or episode two. You're 25, you were living in Robbinsdale in that apartment with Carolyn. No, were you, Were you married at 25? Uh, yeah, thank you, yes. Okay,
2: great. All right. No, so it, and, and, and you had- I was 24- when I started planning all of this, of course, but when and then so, twenty five is when the actual first season began, right? But at
0: were you twenty four when you were hired at Plymouth Church? Yes, okay. the, I was hired,
2: but you know I didn't.
0: Uh... Walk us back to that though. So it's this would have been what year? So fifty years ago,
2: sixty six, right? 67 but but you were hired and in 20... 68 in 68 they i was interviewed and then it was in the spring of 69 that i i was still in minnesota orchestra at the time right. and then i playing <laughs> piano and percussion okay and then i um Uh,
0: And you weren't at Minnesota Opera at the time?
2: Nope, not yet.
0: That was still to come?
2: Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so then I um, uh, came, and during that summer is when I turned 25, but I was planning the the season of what would be, at that beginning, Plymouth Music Series, later to become Vocal Essence.
0: Right, but still going back to the the initiation, the instigation of this. So where were you the choir
2: master or organist prior to Plymouth? I was the organist and choir master at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in South Minneapolis. How long had you been there? I was at that church for four or five years. Okay. And
0: how so you were we were probably I'm guessing somewhat satisfied with the job. I mean four or five years is a decent amount of time. Uh yes,
2: I, it was. But of course I had studied organ with Arthur Jennings mm-hmm. uh starting when I was fifteen at Plymouth Church. So I knew this sanctuary at the church and the organ mm-hmm. from studying with him. All right. And so did he retire? He retired two years before this date, Okay, and so they had interim people, Mm. it was one and another, and then they called me and said, was I willing to um, uh, move from Holy Trinity, and I thought, to the dream job, yes, I was, because I'd always wanted to be the organist director at Plymouth Church because you had studied here with Arthur because I had studied and it was and still is one of the prime music locations in the Twin Cities to be the music director for. Well, so
0: had Arthur uh, was he just the organist or was he organist? He's both organist and choir master. Mm -hmm. Was he producing additional music concerts? Beyond the Sunday morning services,
2: no, he would do like something during Holy Week, and there might be a little something uh, special at Christmas time.
0: But he wasn't—he
2: wasn't as entrepreneurial as you. Oh were. no, no, no! He was also the organist professor at the University of Minnesota. Okay, so he, he had another job, right? And, and, and right,
0: and he was so he was he more of an organist focused, yes. Choral director.
2: Yes, definitely an organist. Okay. Right. Right. And so so they call you in 68. They called me in uh in the uh, probably it was in the winter of 69. Um I could somewhere find the date, but yeah. I don't remember but they called me and what, what's asked What's the
0: if, what's the is there an audition process? Like how do you what what is that?
2: How does that happen? They had they had a committee about 10 people on this music committee mm-hmm. and asked me to come down and meet with them in uh, the conference room yeah. and talk about my ideas for music at Plymouth Church. Mm-hmm. And so I came down and gave them some ideas of what I thought uh, Sunday worship sh- would be like. What uh, And then I also said, you know, I'm hoping... Uh, At that time, I was only talking about being the organist choir master. I wasn't talking about adding a music series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, But then I spoke with the senior minister at the time, Howard Kahn, and said, you know, there does not exist in town a music series that really focuses on the choral music of past and present besides the... 10 or 12 war horses. Brahms, Requiem, Handel's Messiah, etc. And I would love to see Plymouth begin something like that. Mm-hmm. And he gave approval and said, we'll figure it out. And uh, so the very beginning was modest. It was too... Two... No, no, you, you come to Plymouth, and, and when did you officially
0: start playing? September You're... 1 of... 69 69 okay this so is September 1 and the Jennings had been your predecessor for how long had he had he had he been in the chair he'd been here about 28 years that's a long time mhm but but for organists and choir masters typically do they often
2: sit in positions for a long time like that i have no idea i just know that i'm the third Organist here at Plymouth since 1900. Oh, and you've 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 occupied most of the years. Yes, the, the first guy was here 40 years. Oh yeah. Jennings was here 28, 29. Then there was this little interim time, okay. and then you got me
0: for 50. Yeah. I feel pity for whoever tries to follow in your footsteps. <laughs> so, but so you come in, you're 25. You had been married in. 1965. 65. So, so you've been married about four years. Uh, you had me, so I'm one, two. Christopher's on the way, right? Um, and you're still in the Minnesota orchestra, so you're still on payroll
2: payroll there,
0: and you're you've got a church job, so now you got two incomes, right? Right, and and uh, and you were still living in in Robbinsdale, right? Um, and, and, and I'm I'm trying to think of 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 how you managed the day, right? So what were the the orchestra stuff? Were you rehearsing? How often were you rehearsing with the Well, orchestra? the
2: orchestra rehearsed from ten to one, mm-hmm. every know? day, Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. usually. Um, and concerts. Yeah. You know, if there was a concert, you know, you maybe it'd be Monday through Thursday, and then you had Thursday and Friday concerts.
0: And if it was music that you weren't a part of you didn't have to rehearse right
2: yeah you yeah exactly right. but between percussion and piano there usually was something that I had to to do and so when I took this job I did tell um Dr Khan uh, that I would uh, that I was in the Minnesota Orchestra so that I said I will give you a full time program but I need to do it on my schedule mm-hmm. because you know, some people learn faster than others. I didn't need as much time to learn right. a piece. And I didn't need as much time to uh, to coordinate a schedule. Right? Perhaps somebody else did. But, but you come into this job here. Help us understand
0: the role of a 25-year-old. You know, you're following in the footsteps of someone who's been doing this for a long time. So this, I'm assuming a fair number of expectations. Like you're going to fill in all the nooks and crannies that your predecessor had kind of developed, Mm -hmm. um, was the expectation like, okay, we do X number of weddings a year, so you're obviously just on the hook to play for all the weddings and all the funerals. We were just chatting about that. Like, is that part of the gig?
2: Oh, yes, but of course you have no idea how many weddings or how many funerals there are going to be. Right. But that you would make every effort to do them, depending on unless there was... It was happening at the same time as a concert with the orchestra.
0: Right. So, so there's an expert. There's there's an understanding between the hiring committee and and Howard Kahn and right. you about how all of this kind of schedule craziness <clears throat> is going to work out.
2: And then also, uh, you know, I told them um, this will not be a problem. I will do it um, because I have a lot of energy and I don't sleep a lot, and it can all get done. And I will be here at. Many different hours, making sure that everything is first rate. And they and they and they bought your bill of goods. They did, <laughs> they did. But it got a lot of trust too. I'm assuming, right? Oh yeah. But I think the fact a that I had studied with Jennings, so there was some con- continuity there. They knew right. that, right? And the fact that I also. Had been a church musician since I was fifteen. Right. So I'd been doing that. You knew the routines. I knew, and I'd also was in the orchestra, which was a prestigious place to be employed. Right. You know, so I think all of that kind of made a difference. So so then on top of that, you walk in the door. How soon after
0: kind of settling in and you'd mentioned kind of kind of priming the idea, but how soon after walking in the door do you add to your sort of plate of activities because you're again you're already doing the orchestra, so you're rehearsing five days a week and doing concerts, and now you're a church musician, right? So you got to rehearse this choir
2: once mm-hmm, a week and, right. do, and do Sunday mornings and coordinate the children's choirs, right? And uh, hire
0: someone to run those. Et oh cetera. yes,
2: and you have your soloists at the at the church uh, that you are working with, mm-hmm. and um, I I really started here. Though I wasn't paid until September, I came here in July, as I, just to find out right. what had they been rehearsing, what was the music. I needed to choose all the repertoire for the coming year, right. so I needed to get that done. Uh, we put out a call for the choir. Um, during this interim, had had gotten smaller, mm-hmm. just people dropping out. Yeah. So I wanted to get it back to you know a decent size. Wait, how many? Well, I think when I, when, before I came, I think it was about 25. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I had it, when I started that fall, I had a 40. Yeah. You know, and now it's, you know, 55. Yeah. So, which is a great size for that loft. And right. uh, so that, you know, and I only stayed that in the Minnesota Orchestra that first year, mm-hmm. because after that uh, was when I then went with um, Minnesota Opera.
0: Right, right, yeah, and we discussed that in a, right. in a in a previous episode. But okay, you're still in the orchestra. You got the job. You come in. How soon after this this September, walking in, do you put the the process in place to launch what became Plymouth Music Series of Minnesota?
2: I started it that summer before I got here, because we had a we had to have a poster. We had to have a season. Right. And so the season, and the season was, was going to launch when? Well. I decided for the first season in order to have enough in, uh, enough um, projects to make a real season mm-hmm. that I would have two organ recitals and two choral concerts in a season. Mm-hmm. So it began with an organ recital that I did uh, in February. when was the organ recital? October.
0: So the, the very first concerts is is an organ concert, right right? So that's kind of reestablishing for, for the local community, kind of like bona fides and, right. and, and whatever. But the sort of the first choral concert is this February 1970 right. concert. And, and and that's the one where Aaron Copeland comes to town. So right. at what point do you, how far in advance of February 1970 do you, Connect with Copeland, and how did you connect with him? And how does he know you? Like talk about talk about that.
2: Well, I contacted him the previous summer. You know, uh, summer of '69, right? And oh, I had did you read him an email. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. What so am right. I
0: saying? Did
2: you write him a letter, or you
0: call him, or?
2: Well, first of all, I had met him once in passing, because um, I. Met him in New York when, I have to get my years figured out here. Was this when you were? When when I had a Rockefeller grant to study at the Met. Okay. And so there was one day that we, uh, uh, my friend uh, Gary Carr, virtuoso string bass player, wanted to, um, he was playing the Gunther Schuller String Bass Concerto with the New York Philharmonic. And it was the premiere, and he asked if I could come to the dress rehearsal and follow along in the score uh, so that somebody in the audience besides him on stage could say how balance is, what's going on. I said, sure. So I got permission to be out of the Met that day, went to the rehearsal, sat in the audience, and a minute or so before it started, this voice coming down the aisle says, who has a score? And I said, I raise my hand, I do. And then Leonard Bernstein sat down next to me, and I went, oh, hello. And then the row behind me, this very quiet voice said, may I also share the score? And I said, yes, Mr. Copeland. And so he came and sat on the other side, and so they were there for the rehearsal with me. So so Gary's playing a bass, the Gunther Schuller bass thing, and you're sitting, you're sandwiched in between Leonard Bernstein Bernstein and Aaron Aaron Copeland. Copeland right and no photo taken sorry I wish there'd been but yeah. it wasn't so then so I admit, what, what did they think
0: of uh what did they think of Gary's performance
2: um Copeland liked it and Bernstein didn't I mean no he the performance they oh he's fantastic the piece oh yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, so that's
0: when you meet him oh hello nice young man what were you 23 24 at the time 24 like? 24 okay And then, so I'm just curious in that sort of instance. In your mind, had you or had you been approached by Plymouth at that time? Yes. Okay. I had. So you, you kind of you're in New York, but you know that you've got a, a gig at your dream job available to you back in Minneapolis. Are you kind of looking at Copeland going like, I wonder,
2: like, is that is that when you first? No, no, not at all. It was when I came back and I'm starting to put the season together. I thought, Copeland,
0: yeah,
2: I've met him. So you write him a letter? Yes. And I called him. Mm. Uh, was he living
0: in New York at the time? He was
2: in, well, I lived in Peekskill, up, okay. up the Hudson. Yeah. And so I called him and said I wanted him to come and conduct a concert of his choral music mm-hmm. and he said young man no one has ever asked me to do that they've only asked me to do my orchestral music and i said yes i know and he said i love my choral music tell me the date i'll cancel what i'm doing and come and so we had, i had a date in february that i you know and He could do it, so he came. And Minneapolis is so lovely in February. It's beautiful in February. Yeah. It was cold, snowy, so he came. We had a wonderful time. Um, And after the concert, uh, I remember that Grieg Aspnes, who loved to record every Sunday morning I did, sitting in the music library, and then... Obviously, the concerts he was going to record, right? And he said afterward, or he said to me, you know, I don't know what you're doing after the concert, but if you want to stop over at our house, please do. We'd love to have you. And I said, oh, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Let's just wait. Yeah. And the concert was over, and uh, many people standing around, so a lot of conversation. And then I said to Aaron, oh, say this friend has invited us to come by his house over in South Minneapolis um, if you're interested and oh I would love to so we showed up at Grieg Aspenus, Grieg and Franz, they totally did not expect us to come they, well, they were just sure we wouldn't. Yeah. And so he opens the door, and it's Aaron Copeland. And he is, like, <laughs> stunned. And so we came in and had a wonderful time with him. And 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 this is the point
0: where, where, where Fran asked and says it, it noted harpists. It, probably the house has got, like, 20 harps in it. Yeah,
2: at least 10. Yeah. So,
0: so for, for Aaron, to kind of like, oh, I see, right? But, yeah. So he shows up. And, and I'm thinking about the logistics of it so you you get an agreement like okay the star of the show is gonna show up um did he how long was he in town for
2: Oh three four days couple did, of rehearsals mm-hmm. uh, we also on that program did his uh, string quartet mm-hmm. and um, so he and I did it with four of the string players in the Minnesota Orchestra right and uh, they were thrilled to be able to play it and have it coached with the composer yeah that yeah. was great so we did that piece we did a dress rehearsal of that of the instrumental things over at Edgar and Zelli's home yeah and um which was great and yeah it was the whole thing was wonderful did you
0: do any PR around this Oh sure we had
2: we did because we had a packed the sanctuary was packed. Yeah. Yep.
0: And and you, I, I'm curious, do you, do you just call the newspaper or do you, how, how does that work?
2: In those days, yes. You, I mean, you sent them a press release mm-hmm. and, but you called to let them know and of course they were stunned. Well, the, fa- the fact was, I knew if you're going to start something new and you want to get some attention, you know, there needs to be something that's really going to grab them and right. having Aaron Copeland was there. So I,
0: I'm I'm curious thinking this community we've talked about Minneapolis before with well we talked about it with Dominic you know in the last episode but how the idea that Aaron Copeland you know and I think you kind of got to look at his history to understand kind of the impact he's had right on music from a stature standpoint that he's coming to Minneapolis how is that received I mean had he been to Minneapolis before?
2: Um he may have been once with the orchestra, but it was but he'd also vacationed back in the thirties up in Bemidji, he told me. And uh, <laughs> you know, but I didn't know that before. Okay. But oh no, this was a big deal, and everybody knew it was a big deal to have Copeland show up. Yeah. And and he was the nicest man, so yeah. gentle and just charming and oh yeah couldn't have been couldn't have been nicer made all the singers totally at ease Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah he was great who who were your soloists well we did in the beginning uh which was his big choral and solo piece with mezzo and Janice Hardy sang that yeah and so uh I remember that when she first met him of course she was very nervous how old is she at this time Janice would have been in her, you know, early twenties. Yeah. And he just put her at total ease. They had a lovely time together. It was great.
0: get your dream job,
2: you start this, you have this idea for this series. Uh, I mean, later that season, we did a Handel oratorio because I thought, you know, most people think of Handel that he only wrote Messiah. Right. And I thought, but he wrote, you know, another 18 oratorios. Right. So let's do Judas Maccabeus, mm-hmm. which we did. We did Judas Maccabeus. So that's that's like late spring of That was in April of April May of of 70. Yeah. And uh, so we did that oratorio mm-hmm. so that there were the two choral things and you know even then and beyond then people from outside the community started auditioning to come and be part of it. And now, of course, we're at the other end of the spectrum right? because we have about 150 singers in vocal essence Mm -hmm. between the chorus and the ensemble singers. And I think- And then what's the youth choir is how many? And now the youth choir is another 50. Right, and then you have the the aging voices choir. Well, we have the vintage Vintage, voices. Vintage voices. Please, Please. vintage Vintage, voices. Uh, we have several vintage voice choirs and we have uh, the Lullaby Project and then Witness yeah. and and Cantaree. Right. So, but I would say now there's maybe in the chorus maybe three who are Plymouth Church members. So it's totally... Choir members.
0: Plymouth Church yeah. Choir members.
2: Yeah. No, no, no. Plymouth members of Plymouth Church who sing in the chorus yeah. of Vocal Essence. Right.
0: So you, you've you've moved from 1970. Your your sort of operational choir is the Plymouth Church Choir in
2: 1970.
0: And, and and I'm curious. So they meet you. You're the new 25 year old. You know, replacing the guy who's been here for forever. There's been you know. Uh, when you spring the idea on them that like, hey, in addition to Wednesday evenings and Sunday mornings, we're also gonna do some mm-hmm. some other work at 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 a at a level. How are they reacting
2: to it? Um, I think well, of course, they were thrilled to thought that they were gonna sing with Aaron Copeland, right, yeah. so that was a great way to start. It. You know, a few of them quit right away mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't it was gonna be too much work. Yeah, and oh. so that's fine. Yeah. And uh, but you know, most of them stayed and then others added on and we yeah. moved forward. So operationally, yeah. you,
0: you know, thinking about because the music series is obviously, there's the end product that people see, people in nice outfits, coordinated outfits, singing in the performances, great. But you know, you gotta book the venue. You gotta hire the instrumental musicians, you gotta get programs organized and proofed and printed. Mm-hmm. Um, you gotta have rehearsals and schedule all of that. 1969, 1970, this era, you're you know, you're still in Minnesota Orchestra, you've got at least two kids at home, um, and you and you moved in nineteen seventy. We did to Golden Valley. So <laughs> Help me understand, help us understand, how are you operationalizing, how are you organizing that that first concert that you said was in the fall with the organ, and then you've got Copeland. How are you handling the logistics of all that?
2: Well, it was easy the first year or two, because everything happened in Plymouth Church. Mm-hmm. So the concerts were in the sanctuary, right, and so booking a hall was not a question right. just a coor- it was just a matter of coordinating right. the space and making that work right uh and what eventually happened quite early on uh was a couple things one i needed to have uh help just in terms of sending out press release sending out, we had to we had to raise money all of that and so this wonderful woman Jean Patterson, volunteered to come and just be here as a volunteer to help me. Did she approach you? Uh, I can't remember who approached, but I suspect so, because I wouldn't have known her. Yeah. Uh, and But she obviously, you know, I was doing all this myself at the beginning, yeah. and then uh, I would expect that somewhere in the spring of the first season, yeah. she said, can I help? And I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, uh, she came on board and, um, then. And what was she, she was helping you type things up and. Yes. You know, just like getting the word out to the press about upcoming concerts, uh, I would write thank you letters for people that supported. She'd see that they get in the mail. Yeah. Uh, a schedule going out to all the singers, so they knew what was going on. All those kinds of things yeah. that happen. Right. All,
0: all the all the invisible work. Of, Absolutely.
2: of, of an organization. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: And and we'll 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 get into this, but as a as a child, I you know my view into this world and Gene and all of that was. What, I saw the volume of labor. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so I tend to look at the concerts that you do, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about the hundreds of hours Mm -hmm. and people that logistically are doing the things that they need to do in order for that one concert to sort of magically appear at Orchestra Hall or wherever. And, and, And so when you started this series 50 years ago, you 're at, you're at Plymouth and your you know genes come on board. Did you have any was it, your, was it did you, your mind were you thinking this is going to last 50 years? Like what, what was the early mind what were you thinking about those first years in terms of l- longevity?
2: Well, I would say in the earliest years, my idea was let's just keep doing this. I never put a year on it that it was going to go. Mm-hmm. I just felt at the beginning, there is just so much terrific choral music. We just have to keep doing this mm-hmm. and we just have to explore right. not only the music of the past, right. but the music of the present and we have to think about commissioning music. Mm-hmm. And so it was just one of those that uh, that gathered momentum. And at some point, I'm sure that I thought, this can last forever because mm-hmm. there's we will never ever run out of music and composers yeah. so yeah yeah this is the this is a golden wonderful opportunity to make timeless. music timeless right timeless absolutely so you get through
0: the first couple of years and and you do this first season right and you had promised Howard your boss and the the church committee like I'm going to do this after that first season settles and you're into that 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 summer you've been you've been church organist you've gone through Christmas and Easter blah 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 weddings and funerals how what was their reaction to did you guys have a conversation about like
3: what was that first year
0: like everybody everybody on the same page here are we doing good
2: well they were so thrilled that so many people came into the sanctuary for these concerts are you kidding they were delighted that yeah that you had a packed house mm. to hear this music and they you know they were thrilled it's, and it's, it got people talking about Plymouth Church because one of the things I remember Howard Kahn when I interviewed for the job after I had met this committee then right. I had to meet Howard yeah so I went so Howard asked me to come to lunch at the Minneapolis Club I had never been in the Minneapolis Club on the third floor, thank you very much. So I went up there. Yeah, not just the normal lunchroom. The oh, third floor the third, lunchroom it was a very special place to be in. So I went up there, and I can still remember Howard. I said to Howard, "What?" Because Plymouth Choir and the whole thing, Jennings had gotten mm-hmm. really kind of elderly, mm-hmm. uh, and it wasn't that he was that old. It's just that he kind of just was getting tired and things weren't as exuberant. And Plymouth had always been this very important church for preaching and music, and it had kind of faded. Mm. And he, uh, Howard, said to me, or I said to Howard, what do you want from me? And he said, I want Plymouth Church back on the musical map where it used to be. And I said, well, I can do that. And it will take two things. It will take cooperation and money, but it will take more cooperation. If I don't have that, I, I can't make this work. Right. And he said, you'll have it. And he did. He followed through. Yeah. So to
0: what degree, you know, in, in those first couple of years, you know, it's, it was called the Plymouth Music Series. Right. You know, now called Vocalescence. But what role, if any, did the church... Have in the series. Where well, is there a, a separation of of powers? That well, there?
2: not really in the beginning because it was kind. Of, in the beginning, it was really an outreach, a musical outreach of the church. Yeah, and so you know they would help with uh, like uh, printing programs mm-hmm. uh, and you know in those things because we didn't have our own letterhead. We had right. nothing. We it was just you know yeah. and we got that. But it was still really thought of as an outreach of Plymouth Church. and it. But I knew as we moved along that it couldn't stay that way. And then what happened early on was that Vocal Essence, then Plymouth Music Series rehearsals, moved to Tuesday night and church choir stayed on Wednesday night. Right. So then it meant if you wanted to do both, then you had two nights of rehearsal. Yeah. And many people said you know i don't want to do both i can't do both right and that started the whole thing of building up the the music series choir mm-hmm. and separate from
0: the plymouth church separate choir separate
2: from the church from the plymouth church choir right with a few that did both but not very many yeah. and then it uh, uh, and then you geez. you mentioned a board and what so how does that come to be well the board at first were plymouth church members right but but no 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 you're I asked some or, people.
0: Oh, you said, I need a board. You, you decided, I need a board. Yes. What was the, Why did you need a board?
2: To help raise money because we needed to have cash to, because you'll never support a series with donations from ticket sale. Yeah. That will never happen. So that being the case, and I wanted always that the tickets would be as low as we could afford mm-hmm. so that that didn't keep people from coming. And so we needed to raise money from, you know, at first from members of the church. Right. But I didn't want them to be doing that at the expense of giving their church donation. So this needed to be a separate kind of thing. So that's where I needed some help with board members to who are these people? How do we do this? How do we clarify that that the music series is separate from the church?
0: Had you ever been on a board? Like, how did you know what a nonprofit board was supposed to do? You just don't.
2: You just know what it is. I never took a class. I just knew what it had to be, and and the people that joined were had they had experience with
0: nonprofit Oh boards? yes,
2: yes, they had. And so you learned some things, I'm assuming. Oh, absolutely. And you know, one of the people at the very first board was John Caldwell, of Caldwell Press, and so then he said, "Well, we can just print all your programs for you." Thank you. Yeah, so he did, you know, so he, yeah. if you got camera-ready copy, John would see that we had our copies for the program. Right. Interesting. Huh. Um.
0: So, you're, you're first, so you get a board in, the, in year three. Well, you start year one, uh, Gene joins you kind of the tail end of year one, Yeah. so that's two people, then you get a board in year three. Um. And my recollection of the first 10 years or so was it was kind of the, the Philip and Jean show it from, was. from a
2: day-to-day thing. It was. Did she did she draw a salary at some point? Uh, yes, but not at first. And I would have to look up when she began drawing a salary. Did you draw a salary? Um, not at first. Not for doing this. This was all just because I it was a labor of love and I wanted to do it.
0: But how many years did you work on this without getting paid? 10 years. Wow. So you put 10 years of labor into this thing and and concerts it, and all the rehearsals and you're not, you didn't get paid a dime.
2: Yeah. But I wanted to do it. I mean, I was paid from the church. Right. So it was okay. And you were, yeah. and at the
0: time, then you moved over to the Minnesota Opera. So you're getting paid there. And, yeah. Yeah. Such as it, it is. Was,
2: well, Minnesota Opera in those days, which was center opera, so. was a fledgling Organization. Yeah. It was a wonderful organization, but it was a fledging operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And were you do? Were you were you doing freelance jobs out there? Did you you know do? Oh, I'm, I yes, I did some. Yeah. Uh huh.
0: Okay. So, the so that I'm thinking about like the first decade. You know, it's it's birthed in '69. Um, you do the first couple of series uh, years. The board gets established. How long did how many board members did you have in the first
2: Oh, I think we had six or seven.
0: Six or, and and how long did most of them kind of stay?
2: Ah, uh, well we didn't have term limits back oh. then. We just okay. did it. Did
0: they just stay for a long time then? Mm-hmm. The first, Some yeah. did. Yeah.
2: And then we started term limits maybe about oh after about 20 years. Mm-hmm. And then and then we said we we needed to be able to have uh, fresh blood yeah. and all that. So we made three-year terms. You could re-up for a second term, but then you had to go off before you could return. There had to be a year yeah. hiatus or longer.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, so it's you and Gene, and I. And I remember, you know, we would have, uh, you know, kind of uh, moments where, hey, kids, you know, either around the dining room table or here at Plymouth. Now we're stuffing programs. Oh, sure. Or we were, you know, sorting music. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you um, add a third staff person?
2: Well, the third staff member would have been Gloria Freeman, right? who came in part-time as a bookkeeper for us. okay? Because when you started then to apply for grants mm-hmm. and try to get some help from the community and people realized it wasn't just a church operation, Right. then uh, we needed to follow certain fundraising rules. Right, but you also, and at, 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 when did you,
0: you're also hiring instrumentalists.
2: So, oh, from the beginning, yes, we paid them.
0: So that, the, the concert with Aaron Copeland, how many instrumentalists? You had this, the quartet,
2: but... Well, we would have had, uh, for that concert, Probably not a lot, because we would have had the quartet that I would have paid, and I would have paid Copeland, and um, there would have been things that were... We would have had a pianist, and we would have had some a cappella things, so Mm -hmm. probably not much more than that. But then the handle, well, then we had to have an orchestra of about 20, Mm -hmm. so we had to pay those people. Right, And
0: but you've been hiring... Instrument uh, the point I'm trying to make is with related to Gloria is that you were doing four or five concerts a year, which you've got to contract freelance string players, brass players, percussionists mm-hmm. out, out of the community to come and rehearse and perform. Mm-hmm. So you got to do all those contracts and all those paychecks. Yeah. On top of things, mm-hmm. um, so I, someone at one point at one point said that vocal essence was, and I, I'm curious if this is true. If you think it's true, that um, vocal essence is kind of outside of, say, St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, or maybe maybe the opera companies. Like you're like the largest employer of of freelance music, instrumental players. Is that true?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, it is. Yep. So you. So one of the one of the Outcomes of fifty years is you've been providing employment mm-hmm. for instrumental players here in this community for yep. for, for for quite a long time, mm-hmm.
2: and then I you know I realized I needed to then have an orchestra contractor because right. it just took too much time to get all that done. And things were going. Who's going to call them all and right? Yeah, and make all that work. So yeah, yeah.
0: So that's a, that's another facet of. I'm curious, year one, uh, it's enough to get Copeland and get the things and call your friends and throw an event and, hey, it's a success. In the back of your mind, do you have any idea that, hey, we're going to be needing to have someone deal with, you know, musician contracts and raising money? and
2: No, because I did it all for the first number of years.
0: Yeah. So you, you were just doing it. Con- were, what? Here's, my, I guess, my question. Were you thinking concert by concert? Or were you did you have kind of an arc in mind for the year?
2: Season by season. Okay. Oh, absolutely. So not. how
0: far in advance in those early years were you thinking about subsequent years?
2: Oh, at least two. Well wow. I mean at the time I started I was thinking about, okay, here we're starting that second about what is the third gonna be? Because So you're
0: saying in sixty nine,
2: you're doing this organ concert and then Copeland comes around. Yeah. You were
0: already thinking about year two and year three.
2: Oh I had to be, yeah. Because I wanted this to be a creative venture mm-hmm. that was going to really make a difference in the community and provide the community with choral music they would otherwise never have heard. So I got to think through, okay, what would be appropriate to do now? What's the right piece? What can we, mm-hmm. you know?
0: But I'm also, I got to think that that helps you sell the vision, right? If, if sure, board members are coming on, they're going to say, well, where does this, where is this going? Right. You know, because it, it, it could be natural to think, well, every year we bring in some famous composer and that's kind of what we do. Or, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And Philip does an organ concert. Right. right. So there you gotta help them go, no, it's it's more than that. It you gotta kinda help them see the the vision. Mm-hmm. Is now contrast that with today. Fifty years into the obviously the first couple of years, you're the person going like, Hey, let's perform this piece or that piece. Mm-hmm how much is that evolves now in terms of other people kind of bringing in, hey, um, ideas for collaborations or composers and things like that?
2: Well, I'm always interested to have ideas thrown to me. I still am creating what is going to be the season that we're going to do, but it's based a lot on people saying, have you thought about this composer or Here's a name that I think we should look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, so yes, there are, you know, I do certainly welcome ideas from people. Yeah. I welcome ideas from staff, right. but also from singers right. who come. Yeah.
0: And how much do you and and, and and Philip Schultz, like do you bat things back and forth and oh, yeah. with you, the rest of the yeah. staff? Yeah. Of?
2: But I present like, okay, here's a season coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's look at that and see... How would we want to refine it? For instance, if I said we were going to do concert A, and he says, oh, let's find a way that the new youth choir, SOTA, could be part of it. Oh, okay, well, let me look and think about how that might work. Right. You know, so there'll be those kinds of things could happen. Right.
4: Pump your foot up on the floor. Throw- the windows open, take a breath of fresh June air and dance around the room, and dance around the room.
0: Here's another kind of take on on year one. So, what did your friends think? You 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 take the job and then because obviously you you kind of, I I do you know you ask your friends like hey what do you think about this and you've got Carolyn and you're you're newly married and what do they think? Uh, what is what's Carolyn telling you about? Because it's obviously requiring you to be a, a, away from home. You got to rehearse and do and, and do other work. How's she reacting
2: it to it? How are your friends reacting to this idea of of a series? Well, I remember I involved them in the series. I mean, some of the Minnesota Orchestra players mm-hmm. were very much they were they were very excited about the fact that there was this new way of having um, choral music being presented outside of because at that point, you know, the colleges. They might do a concert or the orchestra might have something, but that was it. Mm-hmm. So they loved it. I mean, Tom Stacy and um, Dick Roberts and Philip Colker. they were all players in the orchestra, very good players. And so I loved having them. I mean, um, because Dick Roberts was my concert master. Yeah. When, and he was great and of course then i had tom stacy as principal oboe yeah. and phil colker as principal bassoon oh, right. was yeah and so they they would just help me here's who we should hire mm-hmm. here's who you know here's who would really understand and be excited mm-hmm. by this kind of thing and carolyn you know was always very supportive and saw that this was a new kind of venture mm-hmm. happening and, and it was very exciting you kind of went from 0 to 100 in year one. But I knew I two. needed to if I was going to get the attention of people and get the interest and excitement of uh, mm-hmm. the audience and the singers. To, to talk a little bit about the audience side of it. So you, you mentioned the orchestral
0: players are saying, like, no one else is doing this kind of music. Right. What were How were people reacting to you about... Hey, we just put this out in front of you. You, you. How
2: are audiences reacting to the that first year or two? They were very enthusiastic. We had great audiences. Um, I learned some lessons. I learned, for instance, as we were doing uh, Handel oratorios, and of course my goal was, well, you do every last note, every repeat of every aria. Handel wrote them, obviously. Yeah, right. And then... You found that people really didn't care to go to a three-hour oratorio. Mm-hmm. That maybe how about two hours? How right. about some cuts? Well, you know, and then you then you start to realize that, hey, Handel made cuts. He didn't do it all. You right. know. So you know, I learned. Okay, I can cut this back. We don't have to make the concerts that long. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we, you know, found ways that we also could, you know keep within a budget. I've always kept within a budget. So Mm -hmm. we never were, you know, losing money. We were never losing money. And I was always paying people for what they did. I was never like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't have any money. I guess we'll forget that this time. No way. You didn't pay yourself. No, but that's okay. That happened then.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm curious,
0: just following up on the audience side of things. Um, are people writing you letters or seeking you out afterwards? Like, what are the mechanisms of,
2: of audience feedback that that you recall? Well, I, I think they were mostly someone just stopping me to thank me or give some mm-hmm. enthusiasm or someone writing me a letter. The, yeah. That would be primarily the way you would have heard about Were thanks. you seeking that out or was it just kind of coming no. to you naturally? No. I mean, I'm, I've always been interested in how audiences react. Right. I mean, you know, uh, you like this... And I knew that over all the years, if you do a piece of music, not everybody's going to like every piece. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people who came to hear Aaron Copeland didn't want to come and hear Handel. Right. You know, okay, that's fine. Right. Uh, I'm hoping that there will be enough who will, right. and that will make this work. Uh, right. And I was also very interested in finding ways to promote uh, some of the wonderful solo singers in town Mm -hmm. Um, because we've always had just an amazing group of fabulous talent we didn't need to import Mm -hmm. and so i was glad to have the opportunity to showcase this local talent in the concerts certainly in the handle Works. Oh, it was great. I mean, a number of, of singers were featured in various roles that I thought were fitting for them. Right. And uh, they oftentimes this was not. This was one of the few places they could get work outside of maybe the church choir they sang with or right. their teaching or whatever right. they're doing. So
0: the the first decade, and then all of a sudden, there's another decade. And a third decade, and a fourth decade. Any any highlights in, in in that that span of time, or maybe maybe the. How do you feel about that? How did you feel after you got a decade in under your
2: belt, and then you've got more of a full time staff? And. Well, I love. I mean, I'm I've been excited about every season we've done. Yeah, it's never been like oh I have to do another concert. Mm-hmm. If that was the case with me, I wouldn't be doing this. Yeah, I love the choice of music and the fact oh this is exciting that we can do it. Mm-hmm. Things that have changed certainly the whole whole idea of commissioning music. Mm-hmm. We've now commissioned you know like a hundred and well no more than two hundred pieces of music. Yeah. We premiered all when kinds. When was your stuff? first commission? Dominic Argento. It was a piece called Jonah and the Whale. Mm. And we commissioned I commissioned him because he had been my my professor at the university. Right. I admired him. I loved his music and I wanted him to write a choral piece for the Plymouth music series. Hundreds of commissions
0: now. We'll do a separate episode about that process and, mm-hmm. and, and how all of that works. Um What else kind of stands out for you in the decades of producing all this? I mean, you you then created the the Witness uh, kind of uh, column of of events related, but
2: kind of their own thing and Cantare and... Well, I think the fact, yes, the fact that we really were able to highlight and celebrate African-American music and continue to do that, the fact that we were able to highlight Mexican composers... And bring them here for uh, work that where they did in the schools, uh, writing music for the kids, and then hearing concerts of their music. Had you, I, I guess my question is, year
0: one, year two, had you had a sense that things could expand into
2: that, into those kinds of realms? No, not in those realms. In those early years, there was just so much choral music already extant. I yeah. just wanted to keep. Singing music right. that was out there, mm-hmm. you know, when we did things like Elgar, The Dream of Garantius, the piece had never been performed in the Twin Cities with orchestra. Yeah. And when we uh, did Mendelssohn's Oratorio St. Paul, it it hadn't been heard with orchestra for years, if ever. And right. so I was just wanting to really uh, focus on some of the great choral music of the past. Right. All right, so that brings us to the present, year 50. Yep.
0: Walk us through, uh, what in your mind, you know, so if we understand you correctly, you were thinking about year 50 three years ago, two years ago. You started. Yep, uh, I was. So so I'm curious about with each concert, when did you first Mm kind of go, oh, that's definitely got to be a year 50 thing and not a year 49 or a year 51? So like... How did you get that, and and what are you hoping is going to,
2: what's your goal with each piece? Well, what I think first and foremost makes uh, Year 50 unique is that in addition to the concerts we're doing, we've expanded so much in terms of the community. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we're doing, which no other choir in this country, no other organization, I should say, is doing, is to have a free series of concerts for little kids. Mm. So if you're up to age 17, you can get in free. We're gonna do a series of three concerts that are um, uh, things that would be especially appropriate for kids. Because I don't want kids to grow up and not know about choral music. Yeah. But the music that might be in a regular concert is not gonna be what a five-year-old kid is gonna be excited about. Right. Um, unless the name is Philip, then they are. But, you yeah. know, right. You you are rare among children. So anyway, <laughs> so, you know, we're going to do some unique kinds of things. We're also wanting, now that we have this youth choir, SOTA, we want to promote that event and give them, and we want to find ways that some of these projects like Witness, like uh, Cantare, uh, how can they work together in some ways. How can we evolve? But in addition to all that, then as far as the concert season, Mm -hmm. we're going to start off with a big retrospective Mm -hmm. uh, in October and focus on some of the really great moments Mm -hmm. that we had in the past that we don't want to forget about. So we want to do a part of Benjamin Britten's Paul Bunyan. Right. And we want to do a little reminder of John Philip Sousa's El Capitan. Right. We're going to do a little bit of Argento, a little bit of Stephen Paulus. Uh, Certainly, we're going to do In the Beginning by Copeland. Yeah. So, you know, so it's going to be a wonderful kind of uh, thing with some surprises that will happen at the concert too. And that's in October. That's our first one, but then right later October is when we combine with the St. Olaf College Choir and that choir, uh, we've done this about every four years, and we're going to do at the St. Paul Cathedral the uh, beautiful Mass in G minor of Von Williams, which was written for a cathedral space, which will be great, but before that the St. Olaf Choir is going to sing a group of pieces. The ensemble singers are going to do a group, and then we'll combine adding the chorus and do this big thing. When, when, was, we, when was that last performed in the Twin Cities? I can't remember that it's been... It, it has, of course, yeah. but not for a long time, and certainly not with a choir of over, you know, 200 voices doing it. How
0: so. often... How, in your experience, like globally, how often does that piece of music with a choir of that size get performed globally?
2: Uh, certainly it gets performed in England. I'm sure some choir does it every year or two. Outside England, not so much. And yet it's just one of the great works. It's another example of something I've just said, okay, we've never done it. It's 50 years. We got to do mass of Vaughn Williams, the mass in G minor. Uh, Welcome Christmas is unique this year Mm -hmm. because we have commissioned a piece by Nico Muley, who is one of the young, amazing composers uh, and he's doing a Christmas piece, about 20 minutes. Um, Nico, uh, so that you see where he fits into the scope of things. In November of this year, he has his new opera premiered at the Metropolitan Opera. Hmm. So this is... Well, a, you used to be there. So, but yeah. No, but this is a person of stature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I decided that to make it even more exciting for us and him... I engaged the Los Angeles Master Chorale mm-hmm. and Trinity Wall Street to also be part of the commission, so the piece will be heard in Los Angeles by them, in New York by them, but first of all, here by us. Yeah. Then we're going to do Witness, which is this year focusing on the role that a number of amazing women have played, African American women, and we're calling it Yet they persist. Yeah, that be great. Then we're doing Candide.
0: Yeah, talk to me about why,
2: why Candide. Well, because it, many... It's, it's such a fascinating mm. idea, you know? Well, it has to do with the fact that about 30 years ago, I thought, well, it was at the time the Metropolitan Opera stopped touring in mm. Minnesota. And I thought, but there's a number of operas and a number of operettas and musicals that have a substantial chorus part. Mm-hmm. That was that was key mm-hmm. and if it had a substantial chorus part why don't we do one and Vern Sutton was very helpful in those early years of telling me how we could do a semi-staged version. Right. We didn't have to have costumes we didn't have to have sets Right. we could do this and so we did you know we did pieces by Irving Berlin. Right. We did Kurt Weill. Right. But we also did operas. We did Rossini. Mm-hmm. We did Mozart. Yeah. Um, and so we've just continued this. And so the Bernstein becomes part of that whole legacy of looking at works for the stage. And Candide... Uh, but did, if I was, did
0: he recall uh, sitting next to you?
2: Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I... Um, I wanted, if we did this, that I would collaborate with Peter Rothstein mm-hmm. from Theater La Dida. Yeah. I just thought he's the right guy with the right idea of how to put this on the stage. Mm-hmm. And and then again, all local cast, because yeah. we've got great performers in the Twin Cities who do this. Yeah. And then it's got a huge choir part. So yeah. our whole chorus gets to sing, mm-hmm. which will also be a lot of fun for them. Yeah,
0: that candy is just still relevant today.
2: Very much, you know. And then we're going to do in the end of April. We've never performed at the Palace Theater, that old vaudeville house in downtown Saint Paul that's now been renovated. Oh, what a great venue! Yeah. And so, uh, what we're going to do there? There's a new piece uh, that uh, has been made into a, a choral work. Uh, a guy named Steve Hackman has gotten permission to put into choral form the songs of Bob Dylan. Huh. And so we're going to do this. It's about an hour of Bob Dylan's yeah. music for a trio, instrumental trio and chorus. Yeah. So that will be the final season. So again, it's, you know, we're it's valid choral music. Some of it, old and traditional mm-hmm. and some of it you know of today right interesting that's and
0: and uh, and to contrast that with you know year one you mm-hmm. had uh Copeland,
2: Copeland and, a few other and the Copeland stuff was new then and handle you you had said earlier you know the goal is
0: a, a timeless you know existence that mm-hmm. um, the, the, there isn't an end of the series nope right that it's just going to continue um, and and you had also mentioned kind of thinking about you know in your mind you're percolating subs you know following seasons yep in any sense I, I'm not asking you to name specific composers but but from uh, you know in terms of an arc 51 52 53 what are you hoping to achieve
2: Uh, to keep alive this living art form of singing, of choral music, singing in many, many different ways, Mm -hmm. but singing and letting people share in that. Uh, We've tried in as many concerts as we can that the audience sings on something. Mm -hmm. Not always, but we try when we can, when it's appropriate. And you know, they will sing on Bob Dylan, whether I ask them to or not. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. there's no question. And they always are a part of Welcome Christmas. Right. And, you know, so there are things that they will do that that add uh, to the mix. But, I, you know, there's just a goal to see that, I mean, in my perfect world, everybody, whether they've got a great voice or a lousy voice, doesn't matter. Everybody could join in singing at something.
0: I I feel that's so heartening to know that even I am included. Here. Yes, you are. Yeah. So, what kind of a last thought. One of the things that that, that vocal essence has done is travel. You know, you've recorded in, in England and and um, does vocal Essence in the future uh, do you see the organization traveling outside of Minnesota and kind of expanding in, in a geographic way? Uh, the impact of of this vision of
2: everybody singing? Well, a couple of things. In late August this year, the ensemble singers are invited to Mexico City. Mm -hmm. So we are going to go there and do a concert of American music and also uh, participate with another 30 Mexican singers in performances of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Right. Hopefully, we will go back there next year. They're talking about bringing us in October of 19. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, in my perfect world, the Cantare program, the Mexican program, would happen in all 50 states, that there would be someone interested in promoting Mexican choral music, because the way that we're going to in- achieve understanding with each other is going to be one of the prime ways is going to be through music. Mm-hmm. And for people to know Mexican culture is going to be to know what Mexican music is. And you can do this with all these wonderful composers that we have brought from Mexico. Yeah, And so that would happen. My probably, my great goal would be to be able to hope that at the beginning of the first session of the U.S. Congress Mm -hmm. every year, it would begin with every member of Congress there singing. They really sing the national anthem, right? I'm I'm thinking of something like America the Beautiful, where they all stand and sing together. Because singing together brings people together. There is no question about it. So if I could make that happen, it'd be great. Well, we'll 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 get on that. We'll uh, see what the uh,
0: what we can achieve with the politicians. Well, hey, congratulations on on fifty years. It's I have to say, with from the, the the unique perspective of of being your son, that you know, seeing this it's another child. It's another you know, member of the family. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's gotten bigger, it's gotten more diverse, it's gotten more comp complex. Um but it, it's this entity now that you know. How many are you? How many people are employed full time by Vocal Essence?
2: Well, we have a we have a staff of ten, mm-hmm. and which most choral organizations have a staff of one or two. Is it full time so, staff of ten? Right. Plus, then you have the paid ensemble singers, right? And you have that's thirty two. Uh, and our accompanist and then depending on what each concert needs right. I mean yeah it's a lot of uh, of people who plus of course the volunteers who are in the chorus who are in the schools right. yeah, it's huge it's it's amazing and and again
0: thinking of your entrepreneurial spirit it's it's quite an achievement because to put all of that into motion and sustain it and nurture it uh decade after decade after decade is quite amazing. So hats off to you Dad.
2: Thanks Tim.
0: Well that's it. Uh, this episode I think we're gonna we're gonna do a few more episodes to come of course because we have to uh, we'll do the improv. Ones. Yeah, we're gonna do improvisation at the piano and hopefully with Vern Sutton.
2: Yeah I have to get him into this. Yeah, yeah.
0: and then we're gonna do an improvisation discussion at the organ. Yeah, no. and but we're gonna. I want to bring in a camera crew for that because you think you need to see it, okay, to believe it. But then we have other topics, so don't. Oh, yeah. We've we've got a long list of other things that we're going to talk about. I'm in, aware of the world of music and film. I'm right now. aware of that. All right, what do you got going on the rest of uh,
2: the rest of today? And you got church tomorrow. What else is happening? I got to practice. Uh, now, what's going to happen? I'm trying to get a few more things done about this Mexican tour, which has to go out. Some woman called me and wants information about me. It promises.